welcome back to the next episode of the In Development Podcast. My name is Ryan, and this is the podcast for all of you city builders, city shapers, and city dwellers out there that care about driving change towards people-centered communities. On the podcast, we talk about how Canadian cities develop in and up. We are presented by IDEA, the Infill Development in Edmonton Association, which is a nonprofit education and advocacy group bringing together like-minded people working to shape our city. Today, we're going to talk with Jill Lang, and as one of ACE's four grandchildren, Jill is part of ACE Lang Homes' third generation of ownership. Jill has grown up in the business and predominantly oversees the initial stage of the build, including land development, plan design, pricing, and permitting. The opportunity to capture the homeowner's vision for their home, align it with the city of Edmonton's bylaws for building, and then see it become their dream home is a very rewarding experience for Jill. She is proud of the contribution her family's business has made to the city over the last 60 years and is eager to see what comes next for development in Edmonton. In her free time, Jill loves being active with her two sons and listening to live music. Yeah, she's also a big-time volunteer with IDEA. You you two get into it in the episode about how she was your buddy, which I found fascinating. But um, there's, a, there's a couple of things we have to define before we jump in here. The first, um, we've defined it before, but it's topical to define it again here. It's the, it's the Builder Education Program. So um, this is a, a program that we, through IDEA, co-authored with the City of Edmonton, and it focuses on you know common things involved in the infill build process. So it's a five-day course that covers topics like um, design and design language, how to put together a complete development permit application, what goes into the city's process for reviewing those applications. There's a building permit course, which um, can, uh, includes an energy component, which is fascinating. Um, we have a course on construction practices and of course a communication process or a communication course and how to talk to your neighbors. Successfully completing the program gets you certified with the city to get guaranteed faster development permit review timelines and building permit review timelines, which are fantastic. Um, the development permit timelines are about a third of what they um, normally are, so they guarantee them at 21 days. Um, not to mention about learning all the topics that get covered. The reason I say this is topical to bring up and define again is because our program's fully online and we're taking new applications. So um, you can take it as well as all of the exams at your own pace now. And so if you're interested in this, please reach out to Nicholas, the executive director for IDEA to learn more about how to do this um, through the online platform for sure. Second thing we have to define is the SDAB. I think we've defined this before on our podcast, but it's good to remind everyone again. The SDAB is the Subdivision and Development Appeal Board. So basically, it's a third-party board made up of regular citizens around Edmonton that facilitate hearings um, and render decisions on appeals. So if you had a permit refused or you didn't like one of the conditions that were applied to your permit um, or the city approved something that affects you as a neighbor, you can appeal that decision decision to the Subdivision and Development Appeal Board. So they'll hear your submissions, make an independent review and decision based off of all the information that they present. So it's a great little third-party process that's kind of separate from city processes. And I know I've used it a lot. Olivia, you, you don't have a ton of experience with it yet. No, I haven't. Well, that's probably for the best. That's that's a good thing. It means that you're doing quality work that nobody appeals. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. Well, let's talk to somebody building our city now. Uh, so our next guest is Jill Lang. And as one of ACE's four grandchildren, Jill is part of ACE Lang's home's third generation of ownership. 
The legacy of the Ace Lane Company is about honesty combined with a demand for quality in home construction. The family is passionate about new home building and focuses on creating the best experiences for homeowners. Hi, Jill. Welcome to the show. Hi, Olivia. It's uh, great to be here. Nice to see you again. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, Jill, I think I met you the first time because you were my partner uh, for IDEA. Um, and IDEA actually has a partner program that actually helps to connect IDEA members to um, a board members such as yourself. And it helps to create strong relationships in the community. Um, Jill, you're also really connected in the infill community as well and very established with your company. So it was great to hear, um, at least when I was new, it was great to, to hear about the committees that IDEA had. I remember you talked about those. I remember you talked about topics. Um, that idea focuses on as well. So that's how, that's how I met you. <laughs> so I just thought I'd bring that in and let the listeners know that uh, that is the connection. Uh, let's talk a bit about what made you get started, uh, as, what made you get involved with idea, and then, of course, your journey to designing homes. Right, yeah. So I first heard about idea uh, through their promotion for the... Um, let's say it's the education program, <laughs> but I kind of got into it because one of the benefits of taking the education program is the expedited permit processing end of it. So, um, but you know, one of those things where I thought I was getting into it for one thing and came out, um, you know, kind of a different idea on uh, what idea was about. So um, going through the education program, uh, and meeting the other builders in the room, um, stakeholders in the building industry in the room, just kind of opened my eyes to the idea that, you know, which has also always been Edmonton. It's always been a small city. It's always been this collaborative organization that's, you know, everybody's doing the same thing and how can we help each other out? Uh, and that was, that was the main thing I came away from that uh, week of classes with was, you know, infill building is, it's not the most seamless process and meeting the other builders, um, getting, you know, their impression of projects they've had and, um, and then, you know, learning all the information as well, kind of, you know, sparked my interest in idea. Um, so then, then COVID came, <laughs> but I joined the board during COVID. So I got to make uh, lots of new friends over the internet. <laughs> and um, be a part of the committees, as you mentioned. I joined IDEA, jumped onto one of the committees, and um, that's where kind of the meat of the programming is, you know, where you can really get in-depth and uh, see where things are coming down the chute from the city, hear concerns, hear different projects, you know, kind of and connect with um, the other people who are going through the same, uh, down the same road as you are in in building these homes uh, in Edmonton, so yeah, and and also part of the Buddy program, you know, a very uh, mature name for it, but uh, <laughs> you know, I guess the other, it's what is it? Onboarding is the other word, but uh, you know, same thing. And uh, yeah, Olivia it was great to talk to you and kind of give you more uh, in depth this, of um, information about idea at that time. And I'm glad that you came aboard. I, I got to ask about this buddy program because it wasn't around when I was with idea and I, I never got a buddy and I feel a little left out now. So who, like, how, do, how does the buddy system work? Uh, it was, um, you know, new members who come on board, uh, get a call 
from someone. So we, as a board, we'd kind of, okay, these are the people that came on. This is the organization that they're a part of who feels comfortable reaching out to them, you know, and so, and we just kind of match up and give a first call, right? When you're trying to look at whether you want to be a part of an organization and just through a website, it can be a little bit daunting, you know, you, you got to pay a membership fee. It can, you don't know if it's worth it. So to have that connection with someone, um, you know, kind of just breaks down those walls and you can ask the direct questions that, you know, you might have. So um, so let's go back to talking a little bit about uh, your personal life, Jill. So you said that you spent some time living in Vancouver. And um, tell us a little, about, a little bit about that and how that influenced your perspective on infill. Yeah, for sure. So I, uh, I grew up in Edmonton, born and raised. Uh, obviously, Ace Lang Homes has been around for 60 years. So I uh, spent lots of, you know, weekends, my dad would say, hey, we got to go for a drive. And we you know, go see the houses that are that he was building at the time. Or on the weekends, I'd be in the uh, office with my cousins. And we'd be, you know, while our dads would be working, we'd be playing hand hockey in the back hallway. And, you know, so always a part of the the building community in Edmonton. And um, at that time, it was all greenfield. So, you know, the houses we lived in were in the south, you know, in new developments. Um, so when I, I graduated from U of A in uh, 2008 and saw this magical uh, event happening in Vancouver, <laughs> that was right up my alley. I, I graduated with the Bachelor of Arts in Recreation, Sport, and Tourism, and uh, just always loved sports growing up, played high-performance ringette, and knew I had to jump at the opportunity. So I uh, moved out to Vancouver um, and you know, plop myself right in the middle of downtown in the West End, because I knew that's where I wanted to be. <laughs> so um, in doing that, right, I had a, you know, a nice little one bedroom, you know, barely one bedroom, but I had like a sliver of the ocean I could see. So in doing that with the blackest space inside, and the location that I was in, um, really home became uh, the community that I was living in. So it was, you know, um, walking to the grocery store and seeing the same person sitting on the bench reading their book. It was going to the coffee shop in the morning to get coffees and seeing the same couple people with their dogs sitting out front, um, kind of making those connections naturally based on location and uh, the offering of uh, infrastructure, the offering of amenities, you know, kind of having that walkability um, right outside the door. So that was a great uh, part of the experience um, and really kind of shifted my my viewpoint, you know, gave me some, I guess, experience when Infill and Edmonton kind of, you know, really took off like 10 or 15 years ago. You know, it is that, you know, of course you want to ride your bike to White Ave or, you know, be able to walk to the neighborhood cafe, things like that. So um, it, it definitely shaped me in, in that sense, in kind of an appreciation of infill and how if you're close to the amenities, then they become part of your, of your home. <laughs> yes, I agree. I actually love, I love biking and walking in the summer in Edmonton. It's fantastic. Yeah. What was the event that you were at in Vancouver? I have to ask. <laughs> was it an art event or was it a sporting event? Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, well, the 2010 Olympics and Paralympic Games. So um, I 
went out there and applied for all the positions I could and, and managed to get one uh, on the National Olympic Committee and National Paralympic Committee services team. So the um, our team of about 14, 15 of us was in touch directly with the National Olympic Committees from around the world and trying to set up, prepare them for the games, answer their questions uh, and get them you know ready for the games, bringing that information kind of back to the organizing committee uh, and then taking the information from the organizing committee back to them so that everybody could be prepared for when the games did happen in 2010. So lots of project management. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. Maybe tell us a little bit more about that. Did you, was it a lot of managing people from different countries or different disciplines uh, as well, both or? Yeah, across the board, um, it was, um, you know, every country has athletes in every different sport. And Van Ock had so many departments. There's an accreditation department, there's, uh, you know, venues department, there's transportation, there's people who look at, you know, specifically where are the dignitaries going to stay when they come to Vancouver for the game? So there were so many different departments. So moving all that information back and forth between the countries, the sports, the departments, um, you know, and then working with, you know, external um, parties like city of Vancouver and, you know, um, all the other organizations that were involved um, in, in building the games and coordinating them. So, yeah, it was such a great opportunity and really taught me a lot um, about project management, which I've been able to take, you know, into building. I mean, the games had one big, big deadline, right? <laughs> and everything had to happen before that big deadline. So, which is similar in home building, right? You've got a possession date or you've got a dig date um, and everything kind of has to shift around that, Um I mean, it's maybe not quite as big of a scale, but uh, it's still very important to the homeowners and to our team to have, you know, the project run smoothly. And knowing that what you're doing, you know, at the very beginning of the build can make a difference at the end. So everything has to be on schedule. You know, um, the stress can be there from the beginning <laughs> and the hard work can be there from the beginning uh, and proceed, you know, all the way through, or you can push it off and leave it and then just be really rushed and maybe not produce the best product at the end. So. Let's transition into talking about Ace Lang Homes, your business. So you mentioned been around for 60 years. This is third generation now. Um, do all four of the grandchildren work and run the company? Yeah. So my uh, there's four of us in my generation. So there's uh, myself and my sister, Erin. She's in sales, uh, new home sales and realty. Uh, then there's my uncle, Gord, has two children. Kevin is in the office uh, doing, uh, he does all our contract work and pricing work um, and construction timelines. Uh, and his sister, my other cousin, Christy, uh, is in the office doing some finance stuff, as well as uh, she's a new home sales agent and realtor. So we're, we're all in there <laughs> and we still like each other. <laughs> is uh second generation still hanging around as well they're around you know my uh my grandfather was in the office until the like very last 
you know, days of his life when he was 92 years old. So he just kind of, you know, shifted his amount of work that he had. Um, and we were, you know, very grateful to have him around, you know, and have that time with him. Uh, so second generation, my dad, uh, Cal, and my uncle Gord, um, they're, you know, they have their hand in the pot still. They are definitely, I don't think that they're able to back away because they just wonder, you know, they, they wonder what's happening. So they need to be in touch um and also you know on the flip side as much as i joke about that they are you know so knowledgeable they're like our advisors and you know they are still doing work when they're around right they they like to you know go out of country and enjoy golf in the winter you know <laughs> but um they're still very much involved and uh, we're very grateful that we still can rely on them for their knowledge you know um of the industry yeah very much. It sounds like very much a family business. Has the fourth generation? I know you have two sons. Have they started getting integrated into the company as well, or any of the other fourth gens? Uh, well, we've got uh, one of my cousin Christy's daughters is working in the show home, so <laughs> she's getting in. They're still, you know, teenagers. So, um, but uh, yeah, everyone's a little too young still. But we'll see. My oldest wants to be an architect, so we're we're on that path with him right now there so you we'll go see. yeah cultivate that for sure yeah so very very much a family business and i i know that uh, i think i talked to you about this at an event but um it's a funny story my grandfather who immigrated from germany uh his very first job was laying bricks for your grandfather so um i'm wondering a couple things one does the family extension uh, go to my grandfather's family and all the uh, employees as well? And what kind of a corner office can I get at the, at the company? And then um, like, how, how big is the company kind of generally? You're always welcome, Ryan. We can find a place for you. Excellent. <laughs> we can lay bricks if you want. You know, there's always that room, you know, but you know, we, we can talk. <laughs> but um, yeah, we have about, uh, actually we have close to 30 people working with us right now, mainly because we have our own drywall insulation painting division so um, we've kind of taken that on in-house um, otherwise we have you know, we have three designers we have three site supervisors we have a number of field staff that are out in the field um, then there's us we've got admin so we've got we've got um, we're um, able to function moving through the houses building the houses at a comfortable pace with the, the staff that we have yeah and then maybe talk just about your specific role with the company now I predominantly work at the front end of the company, so or the front end of the builds. So taking if we get a new customer, I'll work with them um, on you know kind of tweaking the final plans, uh, getting them to fit onto the lot and abide by the city bylaws. Uh, then after that, getting uh, the plan through the city, and in some cases, working with them if we have variances or we have appeal board, um, working with them on how to navigate that. Uh, and then, you know, once the permitting is completed uh, and the dig is lined up, I pass it off to our um, our field crew, our, our site supervisors and our designers who uh, take over from there. Nice. Okay. Yeah. And I, I, I found on your website, there's a, a quote. I'm just going to read a portion of it. It's unwise to pay too much, but it's unwise to pay too little. When you pay too much, you lose a little money. That is all. When you pay 
too little, you sometimes lose everything because the thing you bought is incapable of doing the thing that you bought it to do. I love that. That sounds like um, something that your grandfather really kept close to his heart as his philosophy. How has how that kind of transitioned down into the next generations and maybe just your entire grandfather's um, kind of vision and philosophy? Yeah, so my grandfather was very knowledgeable about construction. He started um, just building a basement. You know, and then he started, he, then he built, you know, then he did, a, he framed a house and then he took on a little bit more and took on a little bit more until, uh, I think it was 1958. He built their family home in Allendale, which was not in Phil at the time. <laughs> it was Greenfield. <laughs> and so he, um, he built the family home and then he just kind of kept going. Uh, he, he was a carpenter by trade, and he uh, incorporated the company in 1963. Um, after that, he you know he kept his crews small, and he really paid attention on site. He was on site all day. He um, you know, and sometimes he would be on site. He'd build the house. He'd be on, and he'd you know be managing the guys, and then he would change into a suit <laughs> and go sit in front of the house or sit inside the house and actually sell it. So it was definitely his baby. Um, and in doing so, uh, back to the quote that you mentioned, he really um, you know got on top of himself in regards to quality. So he saw something that didn't work, so he changed it he fixed it. He made it right. One of his other favorite quotes was do it, do it right, or don't do it at all. So once you see that something isn't right, then you have to do it right. And by doing that, the quality increases and subsequently the price might increase a little bit. Right. So, um, you know, it's, it's the philosophy of making sure that the, the product, the house can function, can, can sustain the test of time, can, um, you know, have a great foundation, have a great, you know, uh, the bones of the house are the most important part for us. We got to make sure that everything behind the walls is perfect. So, because that's the part you don't see, that's the part that is going to cause the biggest headache down the road. Um, and so that's kind of always played through, you know, it's been something that we've made sure our employees know that if something doesn't seem right, like we got to fix it right then. And that quality that we um, provide has to be at that highest level. So, the other thing that kind of stems from that is that we uh, also take our service, um, you know, very, very seriously. So person, you know, they buy the house, <laughs> the house is completed, they move in and now they're left with this house that, you know, there's a lot of bells and whistles. There's a lot of things, you know, uh, mechanically to take care of. Um, there might be little issues, to, you know, within the first couple of years. So we do a, a one year service walkthrough just to tinker anything that uh, comes up. So whether it's a door that's just kind of gotten out of a line or they have questions about something, we book a day for them to meet with our service department to go through um, everything. So, you know, if we don't build a quality home, <laughs> then we're the ones that are going back and, you know, fixing it. So it does go back to that, do it, do it right, or don't do it at all. You know, it's not worth it if it's not a good product. So I think uh, something of that quote that, and then you answering that quote that resonated with me, Jill, is this idea of team and how you have to have a good team to really back you up, to really believe in the values. I, I'm super curious, has the, has the team that you're with right now, are they also, you know, a third or fourth generation from the team that your, your grandfather was working with, your great grandfather was working with, or has that evolved because they took 
you know, different paths or the way that times are changing or the way the market is. Maybe talk a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. So I think, you know, within our team, we have a number of long, t- long time employees. So we had a, an admin that was there for over 40 years. So <laughs> she was a staple at our front desk and everyone knew her. So, but, um, you know, it is definitely easier to continue on relationships with people versus, you know, exchanging them out. And, um, but I think on a bigger scale, uh, it kind of goes back to what I was talking about at the beginning, like Edmonton's a small city and we have great suppliers. We have great trades. Um, you know, the company's been, you know, around for so long that we've been through, you know, the markets up, ups and downs. And some of our trades and our suppliers have really stuck with us, um, you know, for a really long time, like going through, you know, with the company uh, going through the the recession in the 80s um, was re- very, very difficult with the National Energy Program. And we really had to rely on our relationships with, with those trades, you know, uh, to get through that, right? It was like, payments coming, you know, it just might not be today, but we'll make it up to you, you know, and vice versa, just to keep the ball rolling at that time when it when it wasn't when it wasn't sustainable as it is now. So uh, companies like uh, Builders Floor Center, we worked with forever, you know, uh, their grandpa, and my grandpa worked together. Um, other companies like Lafarge, uh, Concrete and Classic Landscape, uh, Pal Surveys, you know, Pal Geomatics, we've worked with them for a number of decades now. And it's just, um, you know, Edmonton Small and having those connections, having someone to be able to reach out to is really, you know, kind of the expanded team and it makes the construction of the houses, you know, flow. So we really um, keep those relationships as, as solid as we can. Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, especially in construction, I think relationships are so important. And just the, the life of the building, you do need the start to finish to really have a really good, successful project. But speaking of success and unsuccessful, what does a successful project look like to you? And tell us about an unsuccessful one that um, you may have experienced or what you probably think is not, wasn't as successful as you would like it to be. Success and unsuccess is kind of like a very broad scope, right? <laughs> and so I think, you know, it's more of like an efficient build, I think. Like a successful build is either, you know, um, we get there without uh, any hiccups on time, homeowners happy the entire way through the process and moves into their house and is happy and, you know, everything's done, you know, um, very efficiently. Um, maybe unsuccessful might be if there's a few issues along the way, um, you know, um, product delays or material, you know, discontinuing material. So then, well, you have to pick, you know, another tile right now. And homeowners, that's a lot of pressure to put on them to, you know, have them redesign something in their house. So then it might be a little delay in the field and, you know, those kind of things that uh, that pop up when you're building, you know, or bad weather, right? If you have a really rainy June, then maybe we don't want to dig an infill home that's right next to another one that, you know, it could impact that. So, so then that pushes it off. So, um, yeah, but at the end of the day, you know, ideally it goes smoothly. That's our goal. It goes smoothly and it's um, efficient. Uh, if not, then it's, it might take a little bit more time, but we'll get there. You know, it's even if we have to go back a step because a wall, you know, the homeowner comes in, they want to move this wall over actually now that they've seen it in, you know, in real life, they, they couldn't quite conceptualize it. So it's like, okay, we'll do that. Anything's possible, but it just might push back the date a little bit. So, yeah. And um, I think in your opinion, 
Um, how has the business evolved with current construction and design needs? Like, have you guys have done, do you have to get your staff to do more continuing education or has, you know, new technology or construction methodology has helped in pushing forward, you know, some of your timelines and some of the milestones that you had to hit? Yeah, I think it's partially that we get pushed along by energy codes and, um, you know, requirements by the city. And it's partially homeowner request, right? So it's, uh, it's a very interesting industry because it's always changing. And it's always changing from so many different angles, right? Like the, you know, even the new zoning bylaws coming up, right? Those will change how they change how we're thinking now and whether we want to just hold on to a project or we want to start it now with the current bylaws so and then you know energy efficiency our our staff who work directly with that you know have to be knowledgeable about it you know vapor barrier all of that you know just making sure um just to reduce the hiccups along the way the the backtracking so it's it is yeah definitely we'll see new building codes come down and make sure that our our site supervisor you know and he's fantastic and he's usually on top of it before we are <laughs> in the office so um you know he he looks into the different products and um makes sure that that we know what's coming down the chute so um so that's beneficial also homeowners you know um in the age of the internet everybody can be an expert or at least have some knowledge on how they want to build their home and uh we'll always look into it we'll always you know look into the different ideas that a homeowner will bring um and you know try and find the product here if we don't if we don't have it um you know in our rolodex um otherwise um you know if it's something that we think maybe isn't a good idea. That's also our role is to either say, you know what, this, like, we understand what you're getting at here. This is about energy efficiency. You want this wall to be more energy efficient. And this product that you want to spend this much money on, we could do that, you know, get the same R value in the, in the wall uh, another way and save you some cost, right? So, um, or just products that have come through that, haven't uh, worked the way that they're supposed to, you know, trying them out a couple times and just backing away and then still getting requests and saying, well, we can really advise you not to, right? That's also our, our role as the builder is to, you know, we're a custom builder, we'll build anything, but we also want to advise. <laughs> um, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about a more broader topic, uh, which is housing, actually, because you are, um, you build a lot of houses. And I think on both a social and environmental level, housing right now is at the forefront to deal with topics of living equitably and also constructing through more sustainable means, as you've alluded to um, in your previous answer as well, too. I'm wondering how what's your opinion on how you think our city has helped us think about the housing at these scales and how your company has also been thinking about approaching uh, these issues as well, too. Uh, we've generally been a more of an estate product. So when you're, you know, talking about, um, you know, kind of density and missing middle and, you know, like trying to bring more people into a smaller space, it's been a, something that's a little bit outside of our range just because we're predominantly single, you know, family home, it, homes that are a bit of a bigger size. But one thing that we have seen is uh, the introduction of like secondary suites um, and, uh, garden suites, that's, that's been a big, um, request on our end. One to offset the, 
your cost of the build uh, after the fact, but also in doing that, in offering, you know, a suite in the basement in a house that's in Windsor Park, right, close to the university. People who maybe have been tied to the university want to live in Windsor Park because of the impact that the university had on them. Now they have the opportunity to give back, to offer a nice space for someone um, that is going to the university. And, you know, uh, along that line, you know, it does anything that uh, is involved with infill is is good for the overall environment because it means people are living closer together. There's less travel uh, from place to place and just more more um, more walkability, more, you know, using those bike paths <laughs> that the city loves so much. So, um, yeah, introducing even just those secondary suites and, and garden suites uh, has been more the route that our company's taken in that regard. Let's, uh, you touched on, you know, zoning by renewal a little bit, but I'm wondering before we get into that, um, maybe talk about some of the common barriers that you're experiencing, like regulatory or infrastructure or, you know, demanding clients or something. What, what are kind of the common barriers you're seeing um, these days? I'd say I can direct it more to infill. We do have about 40% uh, of our work is still greenfield. So um, obviously when you go to infill, you're doing all of the land development uh, from the very start. <laughs> so it's just a diff- it's a different, um, it's a different process. It takes longer at the beginning. Uh, and one thing that we've seen with that, uh, I don't know if it's a hiccup, but it's, there's a lot more work before people are interested, we find. So People who are looking for infill, unless they have a lot and they're doing, they have the vision for what they want to build on that lot, um, are kind of hesitant until they see the house in the ground. So it, we're doing um, more homes, kind of getting them up, uh, and then having the the um, customers come by and see them and want them. You know, once they see the product, they see it. Uh, in regards to you know, kind of building development, I think with infill. In the last 15 years, I think the overall thing has been uh, kind of the narrative around infill has been the biggest hurdle in the sense that when the city decided to split the lots and allow for subdivision of lots over 50 feet, um, there were a lot of people who took advantage, a lot of builders who took advantage. And there were not nearly as many bylaws as there are today around infill building. So there were some projects back in that day that really put a bad taste in neighbors' mouths and communities' mouths. Um, And there was a lot of fear at that time because they hadn't seen the outcome of infill development and what it could be. So that's a big um, barrier for us and for city of Edmonton, just in, um, in the sense of, pushing the infill at this time. Uh, the thing that's happened over the last 15 years, though, that I would want the, <laughs> the public to know is that it's very difficult to build an infill home if you don't know all the rules and regulations. Like The city has really changed the way that we build, and we're bound by a lot of rules. So having an infill build happen on your street, you know, it's not going to be the nightmare that it was maybe 15 years ago when those when those uh, issues came up. And I think builders are a lot more open to discussing the issues that might come up or are open to um, just engaging with them and sharing designs uh, with the homeowner so that, so that there isn't that fear. So um, that kind of stems, you know, that goes through those struggles. I'd say they're, they're a barrier because 
the public influences how the city is going to move forward with infill. So if someone is just against infill because they had a bad experience 10 years ago, they're going to write negative comments on anything that's regarding development in infill. So there's that shift. I think that's that's the shift that I would hope that people can see uh, coming now. Like it's uh, it takes a lot of work to, to build infill and build it in nicely in the community. So the other thing is based on that would be the the trust of the neighbors to have neighbors or anyone in Edmonton to have uh, trust in the builders in the sense that we. Uh, when we come to your house and, you know, are asking for a little variance on the lot, uh, there's a lot that's gone into that. We probably, you know, have, have tried to rework that plan a lot of times. Um, and the overall impact, we're trying to reduce the overall impact uh, um, of the design on the streetscape. But maybe sometimes there's like one little variance, right? And so it's, it's kind of taking all of that in and trusting that the product at the end is going to, improve the neighborhood is going to increase the property values um, instead of the the fear that comes along. I guess one thing also that I wanted to mention on that tangent, sorry, I'm going on a long time on this. <laughs> I love it. Okay, great. Infill involves change, right? Change to an existing community. And change is always associated with grief. It's always associated with fear. And um, it's hard to, especially with home building, to just make that change because it takes a year. It takes maybe 18 months to get the new house up on that block. So um, I guess a, a cute story when we were, uh, I guess it was the late nineties in our office and my grandfather was still around and he had purchased the office in uh, 19, late 1970s. So we've been in this office since late 1970s and we said, okay, it's time for a renovation. We need to do some updates in here. And he just was not having it. You know, it's a perfectly good office, right? And that's, I mean, on the backside of that, we do, you know, we don't update a lot because everything is functional. So it's fine. We'll put our money into into the houses in the field. So um, so my grandfather had a hard time with this renovation work. Grandpa, there's neon green carpet. There's burnt orange curtains. Like we need to update. We have customers coming in, you know, we need to, we need to update the office. And he just, you know, had a really hard time with it every day. Can't, no, can't believe you're doing that. Um, until about, you know, a couple days after everything was done. And then he sat down and he looked around and he said, you know what? It's actually pretty nice. It's pretty nice what you did here. You know, I like what you did here. Right. And so it's kind of like, I can relate that to infill where, it's hard at the beginning because you're just losing what was there. Then during, it's just a mess, right? And it's not your everyday life. It's changing, you know, on the streetscape. But then at the end, you know, hopefully you can sit back and, be, you know, just say, oh, yeah, it's actually pretty nice, right? <laughs> but it does take time to get there. And it's one of those things, you know, as a builder, it's uh, we want to build, but my heart does go out to the neighbors who are, are close by and we know we're a pain in all the construction noise and sometimes the the mud that gets on the street but you know we'll do our best to keep it as efficient and quick as possible to get out of there yeah and then when you're done they probably come by and say you know it's actually pretty nice it's yeah. actually pretty nice hopefully anyways 
sorry, some of the stuff that you were just talking about there was um, sounded verbatim from the builder education program. So I know you were the first cohort that went through. How much of those teachings um, did did you kind of implement in your day to day? And is anyone else going to take uh, take the course from your office? Or I'd say I use a lot of the stuff, especially dealing with neighbors. You know, uh, from the course in the sense of they want to see what's being built. That's the number one thing, right? There's this wonder, right? That, that stage of wonder and worry at the beginning. So um, if we, you know, we get the development sign up, which is great. Uh, if there is any, you know, need for a variance or anything, you know, I, I put together a package for them that has, uh, you know, the front elevation, the plot plan, they can see exactly how it's going to look on the streetscape. Um, and just informing them, you know, and saying, hey, these are our timelines. This is, um, we put all our quickest trades on our infill builds because we want to be in and out. Um, just assuring them that what our timeline is. And uh, and the, the biggest thing for me is to, for them to know that I'm available if there's any concerns along the way at all. You know, we uh, definitely try and get our site soups to go around to every site at the end of the day and make sure that they're secure um, and make sure that the road's clean, everything like that. But we have, I think we have over 20 infill builds right now on the go. So sometimes they might leave and then a delivery truck pulls up, opens the gates, backs in, <laughs> drops their stuff and pulls out, doesn't close the gates, mud on the street, right? And I'd rather have uh, just a call from a homeowner, whatever time of day, whatever time of night, uh, just to say, hey, you know, I just noticed this, your site, da, da, da. Um, there's mud on the street, there's, you know, the doors open um, and then I can get somebody there, right? Instead of them just uh, sitting with it or, um, you know, calling the city with a with a complaint. So it's then then the city's calling me, which will take longer anyway. So I'd rather just have it uh, resolved. We always just we always say the more eyes, the better on the property, and you know they're they're right there, so we we can use them as a resource um, in that regard to make sure that our properties are kept nice and neat and clean and safe for them. Yeah, agreed. And and I think you kind of touched on it about when you were talking about the narrative of infill, but I, it definitely is changing. Um, I ho And that's part of the purpose of the builder education program was kind of to, um, uh, you know, educate builders as much as possible and kind of bring up the minimum standard, but also kind of um, establish companies like yours. When you go around to the neighbors, you know, you, you have this little certification, but also you've been around for 60 years, people can expect a good build out of you, right? And yes, the odd delivery truck is going to come after hours and, and, and cause some chaos. But like you said, building those relationships up front really go a long way. So... I want the last question I want to ask you here um, is about zoning bylaw renewal. You, you touched on it a little bit, and I'm not sure how into the weeds you are with regulations. But are there any that you would kind of hope go away or change, or that you're excited about? I think the biggest ones that are going to impact us uh, are just the, the relaxing the setback and the height a little bit, the rear setback. Um, you know, as I mentioned, we're more of an estate builder, so the homes that we like to build are. 2,800 square feet, 3,000 square feet, where, um, you know, we're right now when I'm building a house on a lot, like I'm, I'm shaving off inches to get it 
into the pocket, you know, <laughs> to, and just to, for the function of the house, right? It's, it's a design and the function. It's, um, you know, we want a den and a great room and a kitchen and a dinette and a, you know, all of these things on the, on the main floor. And we don't want them too small. And so, uh, to do that, it, sometimes it, you know, it would be really helpful to have an extra couple feet. And because the lots that we build on are quite long, now we have the ability, instead of it being, uh, 40% setback, it's 10 meters. Some of the lots we're working on are, you know, 15 meters deep rear setback. So not saying that we're going to expand and use all that because I think that increase in square footage will increase the price and I don't know if there's that market for it, but just to have the ability to not be worried about inches, you know, with that. Same thing with the height, uh, you know, Brett from Boss Design and I have been talking about this for years where it's, you know, you can get a, with a, with an estate house or a luxury home, you want a night or you want a 10 foot main floor. And now everyone wants a nine foot upper floor. So now we're talking, I'm getting going back and forth with the grading company, pushing the house into the lot, like into the ground a little bit, adjusting the roof pitch by half a pitch, right? Just to shave like inches off the house. Whereas the overall design, like the, the house is already the height it is, you know, having an extra six inches is just functionally so much easier for us. Um, so that that's just going to like reduce the cogs in, in the wheels that I have to turn on my end. Uh, so those are the two that, that will impact our building the most. The one that I have to talk about is the attached garages. <laughs> it's just, it's so painful. <laughs> and, you know, we, um, especially because of the market that we serve, um, uh, people come to, uh, they come to us after they've thought about this design for five years. They've, they've thought about, you know, a lot of the customers that we get, especially the custom ones will have, you know, have their family be doing their future planning, think, okay, in five years, I think we want to move, you know? So they start thinking about their dream home. Then they, uh, then they see some friends and they have an infill home or something. Then they start thinking about infill. Okay, that might be a good idea. But then they decide, well, what neighborhood would we live in? So then they think about the neighborhood that they like based on proximity to work, maybe schools, friends, uh, coffee shops, all those things. Uh, and then they, there's no, you know, it's, it's not like Greenfield where you can pick your lot. You have to pick the streets that you like. And then you have to wait for the, someone to sell right? <laughs> so maybe they're working with a realtor, maybe they're not. Um, and even if they are working with a realtor, realtor might not know the, um, the zoning bylaw regulations, uh, you know, as, as much as a builder might. So sometimes we'll get someone who will have bought, purchased the lot, ready to build the home, come to us, want to design. Majority of the homes on that street are front drive attached garage. <laughs> and they're met with, uh, no, you can't do that, but we will try for you. Right. <laughs> and that's the thing with our company. We, uh, we rarely need a variance on a spec home that we're building. We never go to appeal board on a spec home we're building, but if we have a homeowner who comes in and this is their dream home that they've been envisioning for five years, you know, 10 years. Um, and it, it's, we think that the impact on the streetscape on the walkability of the front, you know, um, walkway is not going to be impacted because there's so many other driveways, then we'll, then we'll try for them. Right. Um, the other thing with the, with a front attached garage is that then you can use the backyard, right. Um, especially some of the lots that, 
that we're on, we have a huge backyard where it's, you know, there's a lot of depth there. And so now you're taking away all that landscaping. Um, you're taking away the viewpoint to look out into the backyard um, and that privacy back there as well. So I can understand and I, um, if it comes up that it's a great opportunity to do a rear attached, then that's that's great. That's, you know, I, I know the walkability in the front. I know that's what the city of Edmonton loves. And, and we try and work that uh, into our plans as much as we can. Um, but the, uh, yeah, having an attached garage period, if people are coming into into uh, Edmonton infill, they have the funds to build an estate home, they should have an attached garage. They shouldn't have to go outside if they have the ability to to build a home um, where they where they want those conveniences. So there has to be an in between, I think, um, between the intention laws and the respect for the homeowners uh, who are doing the infill building. I could not have said it better. Um, I think you're going to be disappointed. So I'll see you at the appeal board um, for all of our front attached garage <laughs> permits. I know forever. I'm back with another front attached garage, everyone. <laughs> okay. Let's talk a bit about design. And I think I'd love to hear your uh, perspectives, Jill, and kind of your guys' process because I've never, I actually don't do a lot of, I'm a designer as well, but I don't do a lot of custom homes. We do definitely a lot more um, bigger scale and they, you know, you have one typical design that gets replicated at a, at a, at a bigger mass, you know, or a bigger scale. So um, walk us through a little bit about your design and your construction process and how, you know, you, you put those two together. And, and I guess maybe as or from a designer's point of view, how do you approach, um, you know, the balance of design with technical technical aspects of a custom home? So our homeowners usually come to us with ideas that they want, where they want rooms, um, you know, what, what spaces are their priorities uh, to have on display or have functioning. Um, then we have, you know, we'll get our, our drafts person to put put together the plan, uh, then we generally have, you know, at least a few set of experienced eyes on it to make sure that functionally it, it works well. So we'll throw it, um, you know, I'll take a look, my cousin will take a look, you know, uh, and just make sure that, that the rooms flow. Usually a designer will take a look and make sure that some, you know, this, there's not a space that's too tight for for moving through, um, things like that. We'll get our site super to take a look to make sure mechanically everything is gonna flow. And then once kind of the spaces are designed, um, we'll finalize the plans and get uh, our our designer on site to work with the homeowners. So they'll go through uh, and guide them. You know, they always say, you know, get your pictures from the internet and, and then we'll, we'll find something, and, you know, get a match for the mood that you're looking for in this house, right? Some things are possible, some things are not, you know, let's, let's find an in-between so that uh, the, the home, the, the feeling in the home is what you want and spaces are what you want. So, um, you know, and along that way, it's a balance, right? Between it's custom, right? And, and like I said, we can do anything, we can build anything, right? But it's that balance of, you know, maybe this would be a better option, right? So, so it's finding that balance, we're making sure that, that the homeowner is getting exactly what they want, and that it's going to be functional in the end of the day. So our designers are very experienced and um, just have great eyes, like great eye on 
on um, trends and and everything that's coming up. We have uh, we actually have a new show home that's coming like a new infill show home um, coming up at the end of April that we're opening. And uh, I was just talking to our designer the other day and it's just, it's like, I'm like, what, how do you put all of that together? Like I would never in my brain be able to put, you know, those pieces together and have it look good. So it's going to be quite striking and new and, you know, something different. Like I haven't seen in the Edmonton market in, in a while for, for a show home. So it's going to be great. Have, has your designers ever gotten um, crazy Pinterest photos and then from your clients and they go, build this because <laughs> I've gotten them or and I've also gotten very, very, uh, you know, bland ones too, where you're like, mm, we could push that further. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, and sometimes it is, just, it's a, it's a completely impossible, right, <laughs> to build what that photo shows, right, or uh, impossible for the budget, right? Where, but the other the other side of that is um, we want them to bring those photos, right? Because that invokes the feeling of what the house is that they want, right? And and it's hard, you know. I think that's that's one of the benefits of our designers as well is that they can take those photos and be like, I know what you're getting at, and this is another option. You know, we we always tell our homeowners right, when we sign a contract, like, don't look too much into the exact brands or the exact line of whatever you're going to use. You know, um, we have experts in-house in our designer. We have, then we have experts, you know, in all our suppliers. So when they go to the flooring company, right, that person there, that's their job. They know exactly what to advise the person on and what, and what road to take them down in their selections. It can be very overwhelming with all of the selections people have to make to, to create their custom home. So our designer's job is to kind of calm those <laughs> worries and, you know, put them on a path. You know, this is what you're going to pick first. Then you're going to go here. Then you're going to go there um, and just kind of bring the whole picture together at the end so that it looks, it feels comparable to the internet, you know, Pinterest photo. <laughs> yes. Great answer. Great answer. Um, what kind of projects are you working on right now? I, I know you talked about that show home, but um, any other ones that, that, are, that are really close to you right now that really touch your heart? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've got a number of show homes in Pleasant, or not show homes, uh, spec homes in Pleasant View uh, that are that are coming up, you know, as we mentioned, just kind of getting in the ground. We've got, uh, we have built four houses in Aspen Gardens uh, in the last year, and uh, we have another two that are uh, still available. So four are sold, and two are available right on Aspen Drive. Um, so those ones, uh, we've got... A few projects, you know, out in the Greenfield in Yager Ridge in Keswick, uh, and then we have a few over in Windsor Park. Um, I guess one that that touches my heart is one of my childhood friends is building a beautiful home in Windsor Park right now with us, and it's got this full stone exterior. It's incredible inside, and it's just so great to see that coming to life for her. So, yeah, that that's a cool one for sure. Super cool. Um, and I, I remember also that you hosted your show home to the Idea Infill event. Uh, beautiful home, by the way. I actually really enjoyed talking in there. It was a little intimidating because everyone was so close. <laughs> but um, but yes, that was a beautiful home. And um, yeah, what are your thoughts about that event? And what is your 
uh, what are your thoughts on about women and win- women and in w- infill and how that's been growing? Yeah, thank, thanks for the compliment on the home. It, it's uh, served us well. You know, we we built that model a couple blocks over, and then we moved into into that house, um, a, you know, a couple years ago as well. So uh, it ha- it's yeah, it's great, but we're ready to move on down, uh, across the street around the corner to another one. So, but uh, yeah, and you, you did a fantastic job that night uh, sharing your story and just connecting the people in the room. So thank you for that. Um, yeah, I think women in infill and the conversation around that, I was, you know, I was surprised to see how many people were there and uh, you know, because it, it's kind of a, like, well, why would we need a women infill? Like they're kind of, you know, uh, you know, like, what can't we just all be infill, right? But it reminded me that when you offer, like, any type of marginalized person the opportunity to connect and the opportunity to share stories to, you know, um, as much as we hope that it's not, you know, any kind of derogatory, you know, treatment is not happening these days. You know, most people have something in their past, right? That even if it's not associated to work, associated to building homes, something along that line, you know, there's, there's a commonality, right? That um, can easily be discussed. So yeah, it was, it was great to meet some new people and just, um, yeah, share some stories and talk to, talk to everyone in that house. It was great to use the house as well and see, that we can host a house party. <laughs> so Jill, uh, the last thing we do, I'm sure you're familiar, um, on every episode, we ask all of our guests um, a call to action. So telling our listeners, what do you think they uh, they should be doing or could be doing or anything like that? So um, you have the floor, tell our listeners um, what your call to action is. I think that uh, there's been so much infill development in Edmonton in the last 10, 15 years. It's really skyrocketed. And I would implore people to go for walks around communities where there's uh, a lot of infill development um, to see how the communities have changed. Some communities, um, like we've been in Pleasant View for a number of years now, and there's it's a transformation, you know, the number of houses that have been built there. You can really see the, how the community has been rejuvenated. Um, and I know there's a lot of other communities uh, in Edmonton, the same thing, you know, we're in Aspen Gardens, Grandview, um, just go for a nice afternoon walk and just, just see, right. Take a look. Um, and also, you know, help, it'll help to reduce that, uh, that fear, reduce that negative um, reaction to the word infill um, and, you know, help move forward in a in a more positive fashion I kind of sit back and say oh it looks kind of nice right <laughs> so and have those open conversations about how infill is benefiting the community as well so that's my call to action nice yeah hopefully we can uh, keep changing that narrative so we get better compliments in the future but uh yeah that was that was excellent so i want to say thanks jill for for being a guest today this was uh this was excellent so um thanks for spending your afternoon with us absolutely thanks for having me Great to talk with you. Thanks, Jill. You know what's really exciting, Olivia, is um, I've been doing this podcast for about a year and a half now. Um, and this is our very first time being sponsored on the podcast or featuring one of our idea sponsors on the podcast. So um, who is it today? Yeah, Ryan, I'm really excited to tell you about that, too. Uh, Today, I want to feature one of our idea sponsors, 
Lorraine Bodnarik, president of Leader Developments. And we're excited to host our annual infill tour event on Friday, April 28th. So write down on your calendars, Friday, April 28th. So join us, our project partners and fellow infill enthusiasts on a behind the scenes look at a selection of Edmonton projects ranging from residential to mixed use to commercial. Each location will feature information that will speak to the project's inception, design, and use. After which then there's a really great wrap up party that will allow for participants to mix and mingle. One of the projects of particular interest for us today is the Pendennis Building. And thank you, uh, Leader Developments and owner of the Pendennis Building for acting as one of this year's Infill Tour Gold Sponsors and also working with us to feature the Pendennis Building as one of the tour locations. Often in our city, we have destroyed and demolished architectural buildings of our city's past. However, Lorraine saw the potential in the Pendennis building and has restored it to its original glory, investing over $12 million into the project. The beautifully restored Pendennis building sits majestically on Jasper Avenue, soaking up the incredible views of the Edmonton River Valley below. Today, it has a beautiful mix of both modern cement and steel combined with all the original brick of the Pendennis Hotel with incomparable views of the River Valley and natural light that streams into all floors of the building through its open concept design. Before this location became current prime real estate in downtown Edmonton, it began as a simple California rooming house in 1898. It was then transformed into the wooden Pendennis Hotel in 1904, followed by the stately redeveloped Edwardian style brick hotel designed by Lang, Major and Co of Calgary in 1912. The city of Edmonton declared the structure a historic property in 2001, but it sat empty and continued to deteriorate. Leader Developments became aware of the unique historic project and purchased the building in 2019 and began redeveloping and constructing the project. The result today is a stunning 33,000 square foot rebuild featuring four stories that open into the main floor surrounded by the original 1912 brick. It is topped off by a 1,500 square foot east facing patio and a second south facing 2,500 square foot patio that overlooks the entire river valley. This allows beautiful light to stream in through the gallery and into each floor. To say it's Lorraine's passion project is an understatement. Don't forget to grab your tickets for Ideal's infill tour for a chance to tour the Pendennis building in person. Are you excited about this, Ryan? I am. I've actually walked by the building a bunch of times. So the chance to actually go inside of it, I'm stoked for. How about you? Oh, me too. I love watching old historic buildings being restored and seeing what came out of it and how to modern, how the space became modern. Agreed. Yeah. And the uh, rest of the infill tour is fantastic as well. So definitely go grab your tickets. Well, that was a great episode. I know you and I both know Jill um, a little bit through idea, a little bit differently. Jill was one of the the first, I think, cohorts that went to the Builder Education Program, and, and she was your buddy. She was your, your person that helped you get acclimated with idea. And now, look, you get to interview her. How fun was that? Yeah, that was fun. I mean, um, it, it was so great to know a little bit more about her backstory and you know, um, how she operates um, her business and, you know, how she how she envisions building in the city. So it's great. Yeah. And she's been around for a while in that family business. Have, have you ever been involved in a family business? I have not. Um, 
I'm very curious about it. Don't get me wrong, but I th- just because I have a couple of friends that are in the family business of uh, restaurants and you know food shops and stuff like that. But it's I always hear good and bad things. It's a it's a lot of it's a labor of love for sure. And yeah, you gotta like you gotta have a good team, and your family has to be good teammates too. Sometimes it's just better off when you don't work with your family because you know, it doesn't work, but the ones that do work out. Yeah. It's always like such a good, it always brings such a good story. Yeah. Like a slang for sure. So, I mean, I, I worked my first job, my, my dad owned an automotive shop and my first job, both my siblings, first jobs, it was all working for, for dad out at the shop. And it was, um, it was run very much like a dictatorship and, and that's fine. That's how my dad ran his business, but my goodness, did it like, you know, what it really did was made me not want to stay in the family business. That's, that's for sure. And I mean, I got stories, my brother actually got fired from the family business, which is kind of a funny story. But um, there's, you know, it's like you said, it's, it's good and bad. Um, the bad, the Eidic family couldn't make the automotive uh, dream empire work out. But uh, the good, Ace Lang uh, managed to come three generations deep now with their with their company. What I found fascinating was, you know, when Joel was talking about renovating the office when grandpa was still around and, and how some of those decisions went. Um, have you, have you ever renovated a place with a partner? Actually, me and my partner are trying to renovate our place right now. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, but we do have, um, definitely it's, it's a older, it's an older home, but it's not like fifties. It's actually built in like late eighties. So it's actually quite, the exterior is quite stuck in it's like the, that eighties, um, aesthetic. And um, of course, the finishes and interiors are also still pretty uh, caught in a time capsule, but got, it's got some good bones. Like I love that we have 20 foot high windows and it really brings a light in and our bedroom is like a loft. So it's it's got some piece, good pieces, but just needs a little bit of an update. Yeah. How are you? How are you, Ryan? Well, well, before I tell you my stories, have you, uh, do you do you have similar styles? Like, are you arguing at all on color palettes and styles or anything? Or, um, actually, surprisingly, he loves patterns and he loves uh, he loves lots of patterns and he likes uh, eclectic patterns, which I, I really do like. But sometimes, you know, he likes to put it on you know too many walls. <laughs> <laughs> and as a designer, I just need to pull, pull it back somehow, you know, and I always tell him, what's the thing that's tying it together? And he's like, oh my God. Uh, <laughs> but at the end of the day, <laughs> at the end of the day, we jived. I, I got to say, like, there are things that I have proposed that he really likes. There are things that he's done, he's proposed that he's really liked. So yeah, um, we'll see how this one turns out. Yeah. Hey, that's, that's fascinating. And that's good. Like I I've never renovated anywhere with a, with a partner I've renovated. Um, I had a condo downtown that I still have. And I renovated that myself, which was great. I got to pick everything out. And then when I met my partner, she came in and she was like, why did you make all these decisions like this? And then we didn't end up moving in there. So I don't think, you know, that had anything to do with that, but, um, yeah, I, luckily I haven't had, we haven't gone down that path yet, but I'm kind of fascinated by it. Cause like, what would you say your style is if you could define it? I definitely think me and, um, me and my partner really did. We, we were actually on the mid-century look for quite a while. Cause he had a lot of, he had a lot of like older wood pieces mm. from, you know, either stuff he got like salvaged from like 
like a really like like from estate home sales or he got it from friends cool. or or he got it uh as you know um as a piece of furniture from his parents and you know some all of it together of course is like not a good story <laughs> but when you take one of them and you try to work off of it it's pretty nice okay so yeah so i that i think that's why i was really drawn to that style because you know, yeah, we had furniture already that was very relevant to that. But I also do really like, I love quirky elements in my space as well. Like there's this uh, shop that I like to, it's got like a bunch of surreal, like hand sculptures. And they actually have this candle that's actually shaped like a hand. And it only, it only has a wick on the first, second, fourth and fifth finger. So when you, when it all melts down, you know, you kind of get one finger left. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. How about you, Ryan? Uh, my wife, so my wife and I split it. She's very, she has a very eclectic taste. Um, I love her fashion, like uh, the way she dresses and everything. It's very quirky. Um, she's, her style's a little bit different with, uh, with the home, but I just kind of let her, uh, decide on how to do stuff. And she finds like some of these vintage pieces. We got this like old cherry upholstered with this fabric that I thought was going to be awful. And it turned out really fantastic. So I just, you know, I just kind of let her do everything inside. Outside though, that's where I live. So the, the, the yard and it's very, the yard is very tailored to my tastes. I've got, um, you know, it, it blooms year round. So I've got different things blooming at different times of year. So at all times when you're looking at it, no matter what time of the summer it is, something is going to be blooming. So that's kind of my style. And, and I actually got that from my grandmother too. So very similar to, to kind of what Jill was talking about, where you, you have to keep some of your grandparents' stylings around that makes sense. But um, sometimes you have to you have to make some changes. But anyways, my partner and I, we, my wife and I, we completely separate indoors versus outdoors. We have our own individual space which was kind of how my childhood home was actually we we moved into this house and there was wallpaper on all the walls but every room had like a different theme it felt very much like everyone got to pick the theme for their room so there was one room with like red wallpaper with white polka dots which was uh scary there was others with like you know uh flower fields painted on the walls and stuff so it, not nothing tied together every room was completely different but yeah i don't know you have to you have to kind of figure out what's what works for you so i'm excited to see how your renovation goes yeah it's so funny how that stuff has evolved like my uh, my parents homes my, my parents home was like it, it was when i remember when they first bought it and i grew up in it it had brown carpet everywhere yeah, it was a dark brown carpet and um, and then it had wallpapers in certain rooms. And this was very, again, very, very, very 70s, which was the reflective wallpaper that they had in bathrooms, in the bathroom. So you get, so, you know, you're doing your thing and you look up, it's like reflective wallpaper. <laughs> I feel like that can make a comeback in Maybe not Edmonton, but probably in LA where, you know, a really rich guy wants to put um, something funky in his bathroom, in his basement, um, in his basement room or something like that. I think, I think it could come back, but it's very, it was very trendy. It was very trendy. I think my parents had to renovate it to make sure it uh, was a lot more white and spacious. (laughs) Wallpaper's making a comeback, isn't it? It is. It is. It totally is. Like, I think I've seen a couple of projects where they, yeah, you put wallpaper in bathrooms, you put wallpaper in like kids room and they're very, some of them are really well done, like 
really cute graphics or um yeah just very eccentric yeah Mm. all the girl all the the wallpaper that my parents saved that was red and polka dotted maybe that'll make a a comeback maybe yeah maybe who knows i don't think the zigzag for my parents bathrooms will make a comeback that was that was too much (laughs) (laughs) yeah what did you like from the conversation with Jill? yeah um i actually really liked she talked a lot definitely about um location 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 and that's what I think, like, why infill, I think, is such a it's such an interesting topic because, um, you know, it's in these neighborhoods where it is really close to amenities. It's really close to, it, it, like, parks and green spaces and all that stuff. And um, I think, I really think that a lot of her clients, like, she, they, a lot of it is very location-driven. Like, all the homes she built is very location-driven. It's not just um, building a very nice home but the nice home actually complements the neighborhood as well too so i actually really like that yeah she said it's really important and that adds to a lot of the value of how you find a place to live and how you establish as um a family or even even a person trying to want to build a family eventually it it establishes how you want to choose your place and how and the lifestyle you want yeah no i feel that Mm -hmm. Um, what about, uh, going for walks in your neighborhood? I love that. I love that too. Yeah. I think that was my call to action too, Ryan. (laughs) Discover your neighborhood. (laughs) Yeah, a tourist. I know it's not bad advice. You know, I think, uh, I think it's great advice is, is just going for walks and seeing what's happening around your neighborhood and seeing, um, you know, things paying attention to what's getting developed around there. And it was so interesting that, you know, her, business has been around for so long that she said Allendale was actually a greenfield crazy when um, when they first like it, it was that's how long that Ace Lang has been in the business for so it's pretty interesting and um now it's very now it's very very um developed neighborhood do you go for a lot of walks Ryan do you have pets I I used to have a pet so I had a I had a dog um, we had to get rid of the dog last year, unfortunately, but yes, that was like my excuse to get out, especially in the winter. I found it like, and this year, now that we don't have the dog, I found that I was like walking around in the winter a lot less, but now that it's summer, like over the weekend, it was super warm. Um, we took our daughter out one day, like six times for walks and she doesn't take a ton of steps. So, you know, we, we take her kind of up and down the street, but like this in the summertime, very much, um, a fair weather, a fair weather walker for sure. So in the summertime, I find myself going up and down the streets a lot more. I'm also one of those guys that goes up and down alleys and is looking for stuff that people are throwing away that maybe I could use in, <laughs> in some outdoor, outdoor projects. But um, yeah, nice. definitely in, in the summertime, my, my walking goes up. What about you? Yeah. Um, well, especially when it's like longer days, I definitely love to go for walks. Yeah. But when it's, uh, yeah, winter, winter's tough. Um, I gotta say winter, you gotta have like a sport, like you gotta have a winter sport and then it'll make you go out. So, uh, my partner definitely got me into like cross country skiing and I actually discovered the area of gold bar, which is actually like super nice. And they've got, you know, great cross country trails there as well too. But it's beautiful. You actually don't feel like you're in the city uh, when I was skiing there. So it was kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you, uh, did you make it to the blue runs this year? Is that... Oh my gosh. 
I don't know any skiing technical terms, Ryan. What is that? <laughs> the the slightly more challenging ones. You get a at Gold Bar, which I really like about Gold Bar at the the um, the tracks that they have is they have like the beginner trails that kind of loop all the way around, and then there's some blue ones. So some like more challenging ones where you're going up and down a little bit more. Oh, I just did the no. I do the easy ones. I I literally just started. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next winter. Next winter. Next winter, next winter. But it definitely helped. It definitely helped making the time pass. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. 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 Who do we need to shout out? Who to shout out today? Shout out to Lewis. Thanks, Lewis, for uh, listening to the podcast. We appreciate you as a listener. And also, thanks for the hockey tickets, too. Oh, that is a nice shout out. That seems kind of fair, right? <laughs> a shout out for some hockey tickets? I think it's fair. Yeah, I think it's fair. Okay, well, uh, that's great. Thanks to, to Lewis for listening. And yeah, thanks for spending your afternoon with me, Olivia. Yeah, that was great, Ryan. Thanks. See ya.